episode 80, How to Start Getting Paid for Value. Today, I speak with Tom Gregorio from NJII. That would be the New Jersey Innovation Institute. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Assess, capture, transform, and manage. These are the four steps to get a practice that has been built on an FFS, that is fee-for-service payment model, to one that is ready for pay-for-value. Today I speak with Tom Gregorio from over at NJII. NJII recently received a CMS grant with the intent of helping practices to make the change to pay for value. The clock is ticking here. In 2018, 85% of CMS payments will be on a pay for value basis. You can see why they are very interested in making sure that practices are ready for that. Although two years might seem like a long time, it's really not. One thing that is very well evidenced is that turning a practice into a well-oiled value-based machine is not something that happens like magic. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes some considered thought. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Tom. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let us talk about... NJII. You recently got a hefty grant from CMS. Why don't you explain? Right. So NJII is a industry-facing non-for-profit organization that helps specific industries innovate, and I lead the healthcare domain. 90% of the work that we do today is in health information technology, We're now starting to get into the medical device business, starting to understand how to transform inventions into commercial products. Today, as a matter of fact, there's a press release out that Hackensack University Hospital became the first charter member of our lab, and they will have a board seat, lots of input. They're a a mover and shaker in the industry, and we're very excited for them to be part of our team. With regards to the grant, One of the things that we do really well as an organization is report quality data. And as healthcare reforms and healthcare changes, physicians need to adapt to not being paid for every patient that you see, but rather be paid for the quality service, measurable service that you provide to that patient. The doctors that provide better quality service will get the higher reimbursement. That's the way and where we're heading as a country in terms of reducing that multi-trillion dollar problem that we have as healthcare. It's our job to provide them with the technology and the services so that they can understand as a business, as a small doctor's office, as a large consortium of doctors, how they're going to have to transition from pay for visit to pay for performance or pay for value. That's what the grant is about. When you said 11,500 physicians, what 11,500 physicians are we talking about? We're talking about physicians that are mostly primary care. We're talking about specialists. We're talking about a large percentage of those 11,000 will be in underserved areas. We also have to help the federally qualified health centers. 
it's a holistic approach to being able to help physicians understand that two years from now, 85% of their payments from Medicare are going to be based on value and not based on every patient you see in your office. Let me ask you this, Tom. I was just talking to someone the other day who, let's just say, very doubtful that in two years, anyone is going to be ready for pay for value. And the reason that he said this was that it takes two years to implement anything and people aren't even starting yet. So if all of a sudden we're going to have to, in 2018, 85% of the reimbursement is going to be pay for value, then people really need to start right now figuring out what systems and whatnot are going to need to be in place in 2018 in order for that change to be affected in time. Right. That's correct. And that's exactly why CMS and the innovation, CMMI Innovations came out with this grant. 29 organizations around the country were granted awards to do this work. Many of the payments are already being structured that way. We went through ACOs. The ACOs are a common language and terminology. We support many of those ourselves. But all of the reporting is leading to quality. The government teed this all up when they offered hospitals incentives to become meaningful users and to adopt electronic health records. They did it the same with the physicians. And this wasn't philanthropic. This was so that we can control these costs. So now we're at the point where we've put all these electronic systems together. The government is focusing on them talking to each other. But then what do we do with the output? The output is supposed to result in savings and improve health quality. When we look at ourselves as how we compare to the rest of the world, we don't come close in terms of quality. So all of these technologies that we're putting in place or to help us solve that problem. Years ago, I've been in the business long enough to know that physicians and hospitals used practice management and billing systems to get claims out the door. Well, that's all changing. Now it's about the clinical content and the value of how you take care of that patient where you will be paid. So there's an extreme paradigm shift going on right now. Speaking of an extreme paradigm shift, change is really tough. And it's difficult even if you're forward-thinking and amenable to it, which is not something that the healthcare industry is known for either one of those trades. So how do you even begin thinking about this? You've got vested interests, number one. Number two, patient safety is obviously on the line. So you don't want to try something willy-nilly. How do you even begin to think about this? You walk into an organization that is FFS the whole way. Every system that they have, every mindset that they have, you know, everything is built around this FFS model. What do you start with? Where do you even begin? The grant is basically cut up into four big pieces of work. You do an assessment. You then do a data collection process, figure out if their EMR can electronically submit the information that you need to report or if it's manual. Where does the doctor live in the ecosystem of understanding this stuff? You kind of get to a point where you prioritize your doctor's your rock stars, the folks that are sort of in the middle trying to get there, and then the ones that need the most help. Those on the bottom, that third tier, need the most level of handholding. And what we expect to happen is as physicians kind of graduate, if you will, through this process, they will be moving into these pay-for-performance programs. So envision a doctor being part of our program and 
we transform his practice, we teach him how to do pay for value, and now an ACO wants to pick him up or an IPA that has several contracts, we kind of get them ready to engage in those programs. The ones in the middle take less work and the ones in the bottom are the hardest. So what we try to do is create momentum. Those rock stars will eventually show that they're doing well financially and that their patients are healthier and safe. And eventually that trickles down because doctors do communicate with each other very well and they listen to each other. So as you get to those dimensions of transformation, we see that between those three, that's kind of how we're going to approach it. You start with assessment as the first step, and it sounds like one of the things that you're doing is almost segmenting physicians into three categories, the vanguard, the forward thinkers, then maybe you've got the early majority yep. as your, your second tier, and then the laggards, which is actually, if you have read Jeffrey Moore, Crossing the Chasm, or you have talked to Seth Godin, always talks about this as well, that the way that you cause change is you first approach the people most amenable to change and work with them because it's actually not the change agent, so to speak, that's going to be the one to convince the late majority or the the laggards to do something. It's actually going to be their peers who have already done it. So that sounds very reasonable. Absolutely. So you having that background from what you read, I've heard of this writer and and I agree. You know, we have to categorize those folks because physicians will listen to other physicians, right? Clinicians will listen to other clinicians. If it's a nurse, if it's a doc, even on our team, the docs and the nurses that we have, they help us understand that way of thinking so that we can assist. I mean, remember, we're not transforming the doctor. It's that practice management that we're trying to get our arms around so that doctor's office can facilitate the workflow appropriate, can send the appropriate alerts to the doctor so that all the triggers happen on time when they're supposed to. Those are the things that we want to bring to the practice to help them perform better. The first go at this with the Regional Extension Center program was about getting them electronic. But what we found is that physicians in a lot of cases aren't using it for knowledge. They're using it as an electronic file cabinet just so that they can move on. But now it's our job to show them how to use those files to maximize the health of their patients and prepare them for the reimbursement changes that are not far away. Give me an example of a way you just said teach them how to not use it as an electronic filing cabinet, but really get what they're going to need out of it in order to be successful in a pay for value. What's an example of, of sure. that? So a good example of that is every physician on average has between 2,000 and 2,500 active patients or a population of 2,500 patients in their system. What we can do is we can benchmark those patients and stratify them against the measures that we have and find opportunities for them to make sure that a patient who hasn't had his colonoscopy done in the last five years or 10 years, and he's in that category of somebody who should have them, provide them with the information so that they can check that box and they can close that gap in care. We're able to use that information to point them in the direction to show that, you know, you have out of your 2,500 patients, you have 
500 where their hemoglobin A1C score is over eight, right? So those are the ways that we can help them show them what, what the data says and then transform them into what pay for performance means or pay for value. And then finally measure track and trend. When I referred to the four phases, those are kind of the four. It's to assess, capture, transform, and manage. That's kind of how we've laid it out. I'm just scribbling these down. Assess, capture, transform, and manage. Okay, we're going to hit each one of those individually, but I'm still stuck in this assess mode. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or maybe I'm, I've moved beyond that. But you were just talking about two particular examples of quality measures. You know, one of them was colonoscopy, and then the others are the diabetes-related or the metabolic-related quality measures. How do you help a physician choose which quality measures they should be collecting data on and benchmarking their patient on. And, and I ask this for two reasons. Number one, there's a lot of quality measures. Yep. And number two, I remember, and I haven't looked into this for a while, with PCMHs, I recall some of the stages of a patient-centered medical home mm -hmm. credation. And I remember like stage two or something was that you had to select what aspects of population you wanted to measure or manage. And that actually was a whole process by which you mm -hmm. could go about that. Is, is this part and parcel to that or is it different or the same? Or It, it is Similar, but not, not exactly that way, right? So we use those principles. As a matter of fact, we have how do you select in order to participate in, in this big grant, you have to do one of the 10 measures that we told CMS that we would do, right? You, you need to do a combination. So when we, when we look at all of the patients in your population, we'll see within the measures that we have to report, which ones are perfect targets for you of opportunity to improve. Okay, right. so let me just interrupt you there. Basically, what you're doing is you get the patient. So when you start working with the practice, part of your assessment is to look over the patient population in order to figure out what their areas of highest opportunity might be. Correct, including those that may not be ones that we've told the government about, right? There may be an incidence of high radiology imaging, for example, lots of MRIs being referred to unnecessarily, right? So we can do a lot of that type of information above and beyond just what we're supposed to. Make sense? We can do up to 300 measures as a company, but we've only agreed with CMS that the doctors that participate will participate in all in transitional care management, and we can talk more about that, and any other that, that may be significant, whether it's reduction of high blood pressure, hemoglobin A1C, smoking cessation, or any of the other types. This might be one of the reasons why CMS selected NGAII for this grant, basically because you have the wherewithal to be able to benchmark patients in this way. We report for the Al Alphabet Super programs, right? PQRS, DISRIP, ACO. We do some PCMH, custom for, uh, for the, the payers. We have a payer that does nine measures. So we're able to provide that one-stop opportunity for the doctor to go to one place and report across all those programs. My doctor complains about all the time him having to fill out five different spreadsheets for all the different programs that they're involved in. So we told CMS that we had this capability, and quite frankly, they would only give the grant to people that did have it. So we feel ourselves 
as vanguards ourselves because of it, that we're ahead of the, the quality environment that we're trying to create is like a clearinghouse. If you think about 96, when the whole claims and transaction sets were evolving, that's kind of where we are today on the quality side of healthcare in terms of standardizing, measuring, and getting people paid for the work that they do. Well, I can really see why having that data reporting capability is absolutely essential here. Because as you think about it, if you're fee-for-service, the only thing you really need to collect and report on is, did you do it? Correct. It's pretty much like filling out a timesheet. I mean, it's obviously a fancy timesheet, but that's pretty much the level of difficulty there. However, if you start getting into paper value, now all of a sudden you have to quantify and record and report on value, which has got a whole lot, you know, the level of complexity there is is definitely a level up. So I can really see how it, if we're going to succeed with this paper for value, then the ability to collect quality value data and be able to process it efficiently and get it from point A to payer is not a nice to have. <laughs> it's, it's paramount. It's, it's absolutely required. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is there anything else that's important relative to assessment that maybe we haven't necessarily covered? Like as you're going in to evaluate how tough it's going to be to transform any given practice, are there any other markers that you're particularly looking for? CMS gives us a questionnaire of 50 items to discuss, and that gives them a scale between one to 10, and we have to report to them to CMS quarterly on how the practice is doing based on that assessment. And we also do the, the technology assessment, which they don't ask for, but that helps us identify how we're going to capture the data, which is the next phase, right? Yeah. And, and just one more assessment question, and I definitely want to get on to capture. How did these 11,500 physicians, did they raise their hand and say, yes, I need help? Or did CMS say they need help because they're at a certain level of reimbursement or something? No, no. We did a calculation based on the grant thresholds and the size of our organization and our capability of how much we can do. And that was the max that CMS would pay out would be $50 million. So we estimated at 11,500 physicians. It is a national program, but in New Jersey, we have over 30,000 physicians to work from. But imagine, you know, uh, doctors are going to roll in and roll out of this program, right? So as they reach a certain threshold, they're going to get picked up by somebody who wants to share savings with them. We expect a lot of graduates, right? And so we have to have a continuous pipeline from other parts of the country, you know, connecting states that also have physicians that need to be transformed. Ultimately, we are on the hook. CMS gave us $50 million. We have to generate $250 million in savings in total cost of care. That's what we have to do with these 11 docs, these 11,500 docs. Wow. So even with you, it's a uh, pay for value. There you operation. go. There you go. <laughs> Nothing if not consistent. <laughs> so t let's talk about capture. Yeah. What goes on there? When the capture phase, we've assessed their technical capabilities. We've assessed the data that they collect in their EMRs. We've assessed how they run their practice. And now we have to figure out, do we give them a direct data entry tool into our environment that allows them to report that then we report to CMS? Or 
do I extract continuity of care document from that EMR and then report it to CMS? So what we do is basically onboard them to be able to collect information electronically, right? So in the assessment phase, they give us a list of all the doctors, who are the patients. We gyrate that in, in the same capture system, if you will. And then we find how to continuously receive information and move it. And the other thing that we do at that point is put them on transitional care management. Transitional care management is very important because those of us that have been around for over 20 years remember when healthcare and HMOs came to the East Coast and everybody needed referrals and you needed referrals that were signed and they had to go within network. We've kind of moved back to that in a certain way, right? So if you think about it, we're creating narrow networks. So these 11,500 physicians will all be connected by way of the quality data that we collect and the referral system that we put in place. TCM or transitional care management is a fancy word for referral in my mind because I've been around so long. So TCM allows a physician who receives a discharge from a hospital to receive anywhere between $150 and $250 as part for that visit upon discharge if they see him within seven days or within 14 days. As part of our grant, we will teach the physicians how to do TCM, or we could provide them an additional service where we make the phone calls and everything else on their behalf. But still, they're going to create revenue and bring in money that they otherwise didn't have. We did a, an exhaustive study. We interviewed over 100 providers and told them that if we can generate between $150 and $250 a visit for you on, all of these, on any of these discharges that are transitioned to you or referred, would you be interested? And they all said yes. So we incorporated that into the grant, and that'll also be some teeth for the doctor to want to do this, right? Why would I want to go to pay for value when things are fine? Well, things are changing. But in addition to that, in this program, we're going to teach you how to do this, or for a fee, we can do it for you. So that's another flavor of capture or the capture phase, right? Get them connected electronically. How are we going to extract the quality data? And how are we going to put that referral, that transition system in place so that doctor can trust us with what we're bringing to the table on transformation, but also be able to incur some additional revenue? I'm assuming that your 11,500 physicians are not all, for example, in the same network. So how does this overlay with the network? In other words, if you're a hospital, you want to discharge people, and I've been around long enough to hear the term network leakage about 50,000 times. There you go. If the 11,500 physicians that are sharing data with you are also in networks, is there a potential for conflict of interest there in the sense that a hospital is going to definitely want to make sure that they are discharging to physicians that are within their own network, whereas some of your physicians might not be. That's okay. That's okay because we will provide them with that tool, right? So hospitals are incented because the federal government says for meaningful use, 5% of your patients need to be transitioned electronically. So obviously they're going to want to create their own narrow network. They want to keep it in their network. That's okay. For me, if it's a doctor, if it's a 
physician who's inside of, let's say, the Barnabas Network or Hackensack's network, that's okay. We can still help both entities benefit from doing that. And if they want us to do it for them, obviously that's good for us. But if not, they keep it in network. I understand that component of it. Plus, we have a partner that will allow us to create the narrow network, right? So this patient is being discharged, has Blue Cross and Blue Shield. These are the doctors that they should go see. Okay. So all of these doctors are in the hospital network and they have Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And by the way, our next version or next iteration of what I'd like to do is these doctors, this is the expense or how much it costs to go see them. This one out of pocket for you. This is what it costs to see this one. So that's how we keep getting further down the paradigm and allowing that patient to still have some control over who they want to see and who's the best one for them to see. So you kind of have that happen upon discharge on behalf of the patient. So we have to work on that with the hospitals as well. Okay. So let me just follow the patient journey here. So patients getting discharged in the hospital, they talk to the discharge planner within your system. So discharge planner, click, 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 gets into the NJII system. Is there a name for the system of yours? We we call it capture. Capture. That's right, which is synonymous with the phase. Right. So then they have to transition this patient, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Keep asking your question. Okay. Sorry. No worries. (laughs) I'm keeping up with you, Tom. I talk fast. Discharge planner, click, 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 gets in the capture system. There's obviously criteria. There's a filter that's applied so that only appropriate physicians pop up to your point, ones that have the same insurance and are within a certain geography. And then what happens then? Is is the patient given this list? No, right. And electronically, a secure direct message gets sent to that referral target. So that doctor receives a direct message with this patient's discharge summary, right, that now this patient is available for transition, right? The patient needs to pick one right there in the hospital. like you Right, know. or the okay. hospital does it for you, however that works Okay. upon discharge. Makes sense. He may already have a PCP, right? So he'll say, I go see Dr. Ortiz. So he goes, no problem. Dr. Ortiz is in your plan. He's within the network of the hospital. So we send it to Dr. Ortiz. Okay. Now, patient has identified a physician. Okay. So now the fun part starts, right? Because now we actually get into the electronic transfer of information. Mm -hmm. What happens on Dr. Ortiz's side? Dr. Ortiz receives that secure message. He opens it up. He says, this patient was discharged. It's my patient. His office then calls her up, makes an appointment. If they see that patient within seven days of discharge, they will receive $250 for that visit that they've seen them. If it's within two weeks, they receive 150 right? And one of the things that certain doctors do it very well, we will teach them all how to do it. But we also have a service where it goes to a partner of ours, all doctors, nurses, nurse extenders, that will do that phone call part for you and make sure that that patient gets to that appointment your arrived appointment stats will go up as a result of us helping. But some practices may feel that they can take it on themselves, and that's fine. That's what we're paid by the government to teach, and we'll do that. But those that want help, we can do that too. 
that's probably a nice segue into the transform phase because now we're moving from capture into transform when you're teaching a physician practice. Okay. Obviously if we're going to extract or deliver value, you have to get a hold of this patient and then you have to know what to do with them once you, you get a hold of them. How do you structure the transform part of it? You know, like what do you teach? Is there? Well, well, transforms coming in multiple different ways and being managed by coaches and our head coach, Peter Cucciera, who's doing a great job, who's done this before in New York. But it's not one size fits all, right? So we know that certain groups you can bring along as a group. So consortiums with the you know New Jersey Healthcare Quality Institute, the Family Practice Physician Association, all these organizations that will help us get physicians together, practice managers together, would do that. We'll do a lot of webinars. We'll bring people in for training. We'll do boots on the ground, all depending on what level of attention that particular practice or doctor needs. So we have various ways to do that. And the federal government also gave us another series of entities that have domain expertise in different things, emergency medicine, psychiatry, total cost of care, you name it, they've given us repositories for us to reach out into to be able to get best practices so that we can apply them to our work. The the government did a pretty good job of putting that together. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Have you had any chance thus far to learn any lessons? Is, Is there something that's guaranteed not to work that people instinctively tend to try, for example, or is there, you know, the flip side, is there a best practice there that is a must have? Well, you know, it's it's too early to tell because we just started, but we have found in TCM, for example, that doctors, if they're not part of that transition, may be like, I don't want you to send me a record unless I've seen the patient or unless I'm going to see the patient with an appointment. Because there, in some cases, hospital A may say, hey, I want all of my transitions to go to Dr. B and Dr. B may be like, whoa, I don't know what this is about. It's amazing to me how many doctors have signed up for ACOs and and all these other programs. And when you go to support these programs with them, they really don't know what you're talking about. So there's a lot of education and learning that needs to happen that, that we're a part of. And it's important to the success of the program. I can see exactly how that might happen. A lot of times you you don't know quite what you're signing up for. And in some cases, nobody quite knew. You know, yeah, it's not, you got nobody to explain it to you either. <laughs> no, and it's very new. It's no different than physicians open businesses when they open a practice. And they're really not taught business, right? Accounts payable, accounts received. They're not taught those things. So I think those things are starting to change and for the better because it's part of who we are now as, as a country, as a healthcare system. It's, it's very important to give the doctors the tools they need to know what happens when they get out of medical school while they're in medical school. Yeah, it's interesting. And, I, and there's a couple of thought leaders. One of them was saying that if someone wants to get into medicine, they really need to study math and data quant, you know, like data, that yeah. data management is going to be the most really important component of medicine in the future. And I'm totally forgetting the attribution here. So my apologies. Okay, little cognizant of time here, but we have one last step in your four-phase program, which is manage. That's now 
we have transformed the practice and we have our dashboards that show the doctor's performance on a monthly basis. We've built all of our feedback loops in terms of the transforming process, the capture loops in terms of how we're going to collect data, and the assessment that has to be reported to the federal government on a quarterly basis. All of those things now get encapsulated into the manage phase, and we continue to monitor, track, and trend the performance of these folks that we have transformed. And that's the end of the program as it's laid out for the next four years. After you get to the management phase and you're ready to roll, so to speak, that's when you would consider the physician, physician practice, a graduate of your program. Graduate or or ready to undertake some of these risk programs or be a member of an ACO or participate in any kind of bundled payments or payment arrangements. My program does not allow me to use the money to help ACOs or CPCI recipients or uh, if if a provider has 20% of their payments coming from bundled payments because CMS's perception of this is that, hey, those are all programs that, that are already on their way. We're looking to see if there's innovation in some of these things that you might be putting out there with this new grant. Understood. If someone is interested in learning more about NJII or any of the programs that you are working on at this moment, how can they get a hold of you? The best way to reach us is by calling 973-642-4500 or send me an email at tomas, T-O-M-A-S dot Gregorio, G-R-E-G-O-R-I-O at NJII.com or at www.NJII.com. Well, I thank you very much for being on the program today. I appreciate you having me and I look forward to doing more. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.